Come be a part of the Tea Party with your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. Hear the voices of liberty speaking all across America. Doc Holliday provides thought-provoking interviews and commentary about the issues and actions that are afflicting this country and what we need to do to get America back on track. Get fired up. Get inspired. Get on board Doc Holliday's Tea Party right now. It's only a click away. Welcome back, Patriots. you got Doc Holliday here. This is Doc Holliday's Tea Party. I'm your host, Ed Holliday. You're listening to us on webtalkradio.net. That's webtalkradio.net, and we have got another show packed in. We're in the middle of the primary season this week. Florida, Florida, how are you going to come in? You're going to come in from Romney, Newt, Santorum, Paul. Well, we're going to talk about that in today's show. Again, what's go- went on in South Carolina. So much going on, and it's so important. Every day is important to make sure we get a conservative in the White House, somebody the Tea Party has influence with, and as fast was looking like Mitt Romney was going to be the nominee up to South Carolina. Now, the Tea Party is taking a lot of hits from the establishment because a lot of them have gotten behind Newt Gingrich now. We're going to talk about it in today's show. We have none other than uh, Steve Dace coming on. Now, Steve is in Iowa, has a very influential show around the country, radio show, and he was very influential in Iowa, and uh, he... He was a Gingrich backer just before the Iowa caucuses. So uh, we're going to talk to him what happened to the Gingrich in Iowa, where he is now, and why, uh, why Steve Dace is uh, getting behind the campaign of Newt Gingrich. So we'll be talking to him very shortly. In the meantime, we're going to be talking about this show. We're going to be talking about where we see the vision. Where's this show going? It's the first month of the year, the ending of the first month, and we're going to be talking about a vision of what Doc Holliday's Tea Party is, where we're going. We want you with us. The audience is growing because of you. You keep telling your friends and linking the show to other people, and we're growing an audience. But there's only one reason we're on this air, and that's to make sure freedom is defended. And there's no better person or place to defend it than right here in 2012 by the voters, by the citizens of the United States of America. The patriots have to answer the call for freedom and that's why we're on air we're going to be talking about that in just a minute now let me be sure to tell you about uh what's going on as far as uh newt and the tea party people and this is what i told somebody it's just like the south carolina charleston debate i was there i talked to you and told you about it last week go back to last week's show you can hear uh, what i had to say it's fresh back from south carolina last week but I wanted to say this. It's like the establishment and the media. They cannot get why the Tea Party is getting behind this old-time establishment guy named Newt Gingrich. Well, it's, it's like uh, as you try to step up on the Gingrich bandwagon. It's like they try to tell you all about his bad things, all his personal life, all these things that uh, he had done. And, and then they try to tell you about uh, you know, you can't be for him. Just You're a hypocrite if you're for Gingrich. How can you be a Tea Party and be for Gingrich? Look at all these things. And, and and now, after that moment in South Carolina, when Newt showed that he was a fighter, and that's why the Tea Party's getting behind him, I just have to tell you, there's just one thing that comes to my mind. Take a listen to this.
Yeah, that's what that's what I want to tell all these people in the news media. All these people say, "Hey, you can't be for Newt." I'm saying he's not heavy. He's my brother. Where's all Where's all the loving? Where's all the all these uh, hippies from the '60s? Where's all the good loving? That's what I'm trying to tell the media now. Let's let's have some forgiveness. Isn't it great that the evangelicals can forgive Newt Gingrich and all his personal baggage? Well. Uh, when you start talking about all the baggage, you remember uh, last month I wrote an article called uh, Making Newt's Baggage Disappear. It never did really disappear for me until I saw him come out as the fighter there in Charleston. As far as I'm concerned, I thought Rick Santorum might be the Tea Party's last stand, and I told y'all about that in a show a couple weeks ago, and I was very concerned. I was very disheartened, in fact, about the Tea Party. And that we would not even get an influence, would have no influence in who would be the Republican nominee. But South Carolina came through, and that debate was a, it was a moment that I think will grow in the histor- historical significance as Newt gets closer to the nomination. And if he wins the nomination, gets close to the White House, I believe people can look back to the Charleston debate there in South Carolina when Newt cemented a bonding, a connection to the Tea Party. It went beyond the Tea Party as he gets his base with the scrappy, hardworking, blue-collar Tea Party folks. That base will help him expand to the others. And instead of the establishment saying, this is the candidate we pick, now you get behind him because we know you don't want Obama, so you'll get behind our pick. No, <laughs> we're going uh, to the hardworking Republican, hardworking independents that get out there and get scrappy. It makes up the Tea Party, makes up the middle class, makes up the blue-collar folks. We're telling the Republican establishment, we want a fighter. We're going to pick Newt. And who are you going to vote for, Newt or Obama? Then let's get behind Newt. Now, that's, <laughs> that's what I t- call an election that we need to get control of. And that's what we're trying to do is in the coming Weeks and months in Florida, you're up. And I tell all our listeners down in Florida, I would vote for Santorum or Newt. Uh, as far as Santorum, he's not going to hurt Newt. I, Newt needs the dele- delegates. If Santorum can't stay in, then he'll have to release his delegates to somebody. And I don't think they'll be Romney. Uh, if you want Rick Santorum, go in there by all means. But it looks like it's getting closer and closer to being a two-man race. Anything can happen. We've seen it go topsy-turvy. But I'm telling you right now that I see it uh, coalescing into a two-person race between Newt Gingrich, Mitt Romney, and Ron Paul's out there. All you Ron Paul folks, don't email me of any kind of vicious attack. I'm just saying he's out there. And, hey, uh, if he can come in and help bring more voters to the polls in November, that's great. Let's just don't get out there and get a third-party candidate. But what I am saying, what one of the most important things is this, that you, you, the Tea Party people across this country, the leaders, now's the time to get fired up. We have been letting everything sort of sit back, see what's going on, but now's the time to get people registered. This is the defining, the defining election in American history about where this country is going to go for the next 70 years. You know, you listen to me, I told you about, it's in my book, Doc Holliday's Rock splitting politics. It's what I call the 70 year itch in American politics. 
And every 70 years since the Constitution was ratified, that's not 70 on the dot, but every, about every 70 years, there's a major catastrophic change. And whoever can controls the uh, politics will control it for the next 70 years. And you can go 70 years from the, the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. You had the American Civil War. Dramatic change. America changed in a mighty way. Republicans got in ch control, stayed in control pretty much going forward 70 years till we had the Great Depression. Who was in charge? It went to Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the progressives. He even had a communist as his vice president one, <laughs> one time in his term. Uh, and that's why Harry Truman had to come in. But I'm telling you, progressives have have ruled for 70 years. The end of their rule must be 2012. We can't wait any longer. This is the do or die year. You've got to get out there. And so that's what we're going to be looking at at this show. Now, we got Steve uh, Dace coming up in just a few moments, and I want you to listen to his interview. We got uh, some things to ask him about where this uh, election's going, how he sees the nomination process. But I do want to talk to you about the show about where we need to go. To me, the ultimate thing that we got to do is make sure that Barack Obama is not reelected. His style of governing, of leadership, it's not leadership, it's dictatorship. He does not want to work for the Congress, and every day, every week, he comes out with things that are just, just obnoxious to anybody who loves freedom. Listen. This is this week's Tombstone of the Week Award. And I'm going to tell you something about the Tombstone of the Week Award. Every week, it's something I need to give to Barack Obama. He's dominating the Tombstone of the Week Award for his actions, his deeds, and his words. And for our new listeners, the Tombstone of the Week Award is given out every week to somebody's words, deeds, or actions. It's not given to a person. It's given to what they've done because whatever it is, it should be buried six feet beneath the ground below a tombstone. we got to make room for more tombstone folks. So what I'm going to start doing every week on Doc Holliday's Tea Party, we've had a Rock of Liberty speech. Well, I'm about to change that. We're going to change that into the rock-splitting Obama fact. We're going, to, we're going to peel off some facts that Obama is uh, trying to hide, some things that he's doing. It's rock-splitting Obama facts. We're going to start doing that at the end of the show, starting... Uh, next week, when Barack Obama gets this week's Tombstone of the Week award because, let me tell you, just last week, uh, Obama's Department of Health and Human Services, they're going to require virtually all employers to offer insurance coverage of sterilization, abortion, the drugs that cause abortions, and contraceptives without deductibles or co-pays in their employee plans by August 1st. Churches are exempt, but not the religiously inspired hospitals, schools, and other charities that hire outside their faith tradition. Wow. You talk about somebody just slapping the Catholic church in the face. Obama has no shame. No shame. Did not let anybody get out of these, these regulations. He is a dictator acting on rulings without going to anybody, without going to Congress, without going to the Catholic Church, without getting input. He put it there because he can. Because the Democrat 
and Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid, the Democrats in char- Congress, gave him the power to tell the Catholic Church to shut your doors or accept what we tell you to do. And that's what's happening. That is what's happening. This is what uh, the Archbishop and Cardinal Designate Timothy Dolan of New York, head of the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops, he said, the government should not force Americans to act as if pregnancy is a disease to be prevented at all costs. Historically, this represents a challenge and a compromise of our religious liberty. Man, that's just mild because the Catholic Church is faced, you know, either they're going to have to shut down their hospitals, their universities, and all the charities, or they're going to have to commit a mortal sin. That's, that's where the Catholic Church finds itself. Now, I'm not a Catholic. I don't understand everything. But I do understand this. We have a li- religious liberty until this Obamacare came through, and now they are forcing Catholics to choose between their faith and between what the government says they must do. That is an Obama rock-splitting fact. I hope he loses every Catholic vote in the nation. This is an outrage, and anybody that is a part of the Catholic Church, anybody that loves religious liberty, should stand up because this action should be buried six feet beneath the ground under a tombstone. That gets this week's Tombstone of the Week award, and next week we're going to start giving out the rock-splitting Obama facts. There's plenty of them coming down, and that's where, well, we're going on this show. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're looking at the vision of casting out what we want to do here. Number one, we want you to listen. I want this show to be informative. You'll hear things here that you won't hear anywhere else. And we're going to look at it from the Tea Party perspective. We've done that, but we're going to start increasing. We've got to get more people influenced in knowing the facts of what this administration and the liberal-minded Democrats are doing. I know there's some Democrats out there who are ashamed. I know there's some Catholic Democrats who are outraged by what this president has done to them, forcing them to decide between the Bible and what they believe in, in their faith, and then what the government says they must do. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. You're listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. This is the Doc Holliday who wrote Rock Split in Politics and the Tea Party versus the Status Quo. And you can go to my website at www.teaparty.ms and you can read my book. You can read the first chapter of my book. And if you want it, you can read it by ordering it right now for the Herman Cain 999 plan, $9.99. Still, you can get it for a little longer. Someday we're going to have to Put that back up there. If you got a gift card from Amazon, uh, uh, you can go to Amazon.com. Can't get the 999 plan. I'm not in charge of that on Amazon. So uh, let me just tell you right now, if you go to the website, you can check out that book and check out my other book, Walk With Me, about the tea party. And I'm telling you right now, <laughs> we have a lot of things going on, and you need the book to understand how to get fired up for 2012. You listen to the radio show, and this rock-splitting politics is what we're going to do, and we're going to make sure everything is exposed, how this administration is crushing religious liberty. 
one of many outrageous things. So listen to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. Listen to us every week. Tell your friends about us. And I do want to take this time to welcome our new listeners. Again, met a lot of good folks, Tea Party Patriots right there in South Carolina at the Charleston debate that we've talked about extensively here. And we've done so many things together, you and me, working. We saw the Pelosi fall from being Speaker of the House. She was fired. Reed that must go. And Barack Obama must go. We can't do a half and half. We've got to get them both out of power. This country is going down the tubes faster than anybody can imagine. We had the State of the Union address last week, and and Mr. Downgrade was happily smiling, saying things were going good. His speech, this was his fourth, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, his fourth State of the Union speech, his fourth one. And he's talking about the same things every time. He just gets the same speech, and he stirs up a few words and gives it over. When are Democrats, the people who vote Democrat, when are you going to understand this is not changing? The, the hope and change did not come. It's time to let reality sink in. We've got to get a new president come November. We got online, uh, Steve uh, Dace, and Steve's in Iowa. He was uh, very influential, I believe, up in the Iowa caucuses just a couple weeks ago. And uh, Steve has a new book out. It's called We Won't Get Fooled Again, Where the Christian Right Went Wrong and How to Make America Right Again. He co-authored that with Greg Jackson, and we're glad to have Steve on the program today. Welcome to Doc Holliday's Tea Party, Steve. Thank you, Doc, for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we know that we saw some uh, some bombs going off as far as the Republican nomination in South Carolina, and and you were there watching things in Iowa. Then we had New Hampshire, and this week it's Florida going on. Tell me, where do you see the Republican primary at this point? I think that Mitt Romney is on life support, and I think that if he loses the Florida primary tomorrow, um, it'll be a mortal wound. He will his candidacy will not recover from. So if you are a Tea Party activist, you have correctly deduced, really, what's going on here, if I could use an analogy, is you've got fighting groups, two groups of shareholders, Ed, fighting for control of a company's board of directors. And on one side, you have the party establishment represented by Mitt Romney and his ilk. And if they win control of the board of directors, you can count on them for the next 10 to 20 years supporting and implementing people in place that are very much just like them. And then there's really everybody else that represents the rest of the shareholders uh, on the other side. And if your interest is, in the, in the long term, in, in seeing this party establishment defeated, then you have a great interest in seeing Mitt Romney defeated on Friday, because, or excuse me, on uh, Tuesday in the Florida primary, because if he's defeated in that primary, just like we saw four years ago where he lost it, it's, it's not likely he will recover from that. Well, we say not likely to recover. We saw just a month ago, it looked like Newt Gingrich was going to win Iowa. Everything was going, he's riding a high in Iowa, and then Newt got shot down, and everybody thought he was uh, politically dead. And so, uh, so what, uh, why can't Mitt Romney rise again like Newt has done? Well, look at his level of support. It's pretty much between 25 and 30% everywhere he runs, with the one exception of his home state of New Hampshire, where half of the vote was independents and Democrats. 
So that really bolstered his numbers there. But his numbers are static. I mean, he owns what I like to refer to as the Republicrat establishment uh-huh. vote. And they're not going to break ranks. So, he, so for, for Mitt Romney to go down, he's got no place else to go back up. As, whereas the rest of the candidates, whether it was Herman Cain or Michelle Bachman or Rick Perry or Newt Gingrich, they were actually vying for the other 70% of the vote represented by the conservatives in the Republican Party. And that's why you saw such huge fluctuation there. The, st- the vote for Mitt Romney, however, is static. So he cannot possibly go up. Uh, he can't recover because the, the entire premise of Romney's campaign is, I'm the guy that can win. Well, as George Will recently pointed out, the guy that can win is now 4-19 career in elections. Well, Four wins and 19 losses. Right. Well, uh, one thing that Mitt Romney seems to have that uh, we don't find people jumping in to endorse Newt as far as uh, fellow politicians. I noticed uh, in South Carolina, the governor, she was a Tea Party governor, Nikki Haley, and she turned around and she supported Mitt Romney. We see the governor of Virginia, Governor uh, McDonald, uh, he, he supported, he still supports Mitt Romney. So why isn't Gingrich getting more support from the from those who are uh, elected uh, Republicans. Well, if you look at the Nikki Haley situation, she backed Mitt Romney four years ago. Uh, Jim DeMitt backed Mitt Romney four years ago. Uh, right. He's beloved perhaps more than any sitting U.S. senator by Tea Party groups. And all Mitt Romney got out of that was a fourth-place finish in South yeah. Carolina four years ago. So I, I think that people have, and if you look at South Carolina, other than Nikki Haley, the lieutenant governor there endorsed um, Newt Gingrich, Really, every member of the Republican leadership in the state legislature endorsed Newt Gingrich. Uh, the most prominent business people in that state endorsed Newt Gingrich. Well, Steve, who did you support in Iowa? Uh, I've endorsed Newt Gingrich in the Iowa caucuses about three days before the caucuses. And then we do a nationally syndicated show uh, that uh, has two three-hour uh, full-time affiliates live in South Carolina. So we spent a good portion of our time the last few weeks leading up to the South Carolina primary, uh, really doing everything we could to convince our audience that Newt was the right alternative to Mitt Romney. Now, I know a lot of your audience, you, you would call the Christian right. Now, tell me, how can you get behind Newt Gingrich, who has lived, had a, a lot of personal baggage, along with other baggage that a lot of uh, the media has trouble understanding how Christians can get behind uh, a lead, want to support someone for president who has uh, so much baggage in, in their personal life? That's a great question, and, and I think th- there's a few reasons for, for what you just described to being true. Number one is Christians have, unfortunately, some of our Christian political leaders, and this goes right to our book, We Won't Get Fooled Again, uh, a lot of Christian leaders have given the American people this notion that we have a double, double standard morally and we're hypocrites, because, frankly, we've let Republicans get away with things we'd never let Democrats do because they supposedly were on our team, almost like the Ten Commandments has a get-out-of-jail-free clause if you're for low taxes. And that's not the way that it works. So we've, we've been hypocritical where this is concerned, number one. And then number two, however, we have not properly, as, as, a, as a church, really discussed and, and explained to the American people what concepts like forgiveness and restoration and repentance what those words mean, and, and what that process really looks like. I'll give you one example, because what you just asked was the toughest thing for me to overcome in my endorsement. And it's not because I, I couldn't forgive Newt. I mean, I, forgiveness is part and parcel with being a Christian. It's, it's the restoration part. It's, it's that he's got to earn, he has to earn the trust again, that he can be trusted 
to be put back into that position of influence, and he can handle it better than what happened the first time. Well, Steve, let me stop you right there now. How, how can he earn trust? He hadn't had political office since uh, the late 90s, and how can he earn your trust? He can say anything, but how do, you, how do you know he'll do that if he gets elected to the White House? That's the right question. That's exactly where I was going next. When I was in the, because of our position here in the Iowa caucuses, I'm, I'm given an opportunity to vet candidates probably more thoroughly um, than just about anybody in the media in the country is. Okay. And, and I get a chance, I mean, to me, guys like Rick Santorum and, Michelle, and gals like Michelle Bachman or people like Newt Gingrich, they're not, they're just people, I call, I, you get to know these people on a first name basis in my line of work. And I spoke at length with Newt about many of these issues, uh, a lot of times on my own show. Okay. And, and what really impressed me, the final time we talked about it, somebody, you're down there in Mississippi, a lot right. of your audience down there would know the Wildmans and the American Family Association. That, that's right. And, and right before Christmas, Newt Gingrich came on my show. I do a, my show airs across the country at night, 9 to midnight Eastern. He comes on my show at 11 o'clock at night, right before Christmas, and he comes on, and Donald Wildman comes on the show with him. Okay. And Reverend Wildman and I sat there and talked about Newt and his past and all of this well-documented baggage and, and whether we've seen enough change in his life and what evidence to that change we've seen. And we had a very open conversation about this, and we talked about him like he was not even in the room. Mm, okay. And he sat there, and he never rolled his eyes. Doc, he never, he never said during a commercial break, hey, you know, can we move on and talk about jobs and the mm -hmm. economy and be grown-ups and, and get back to what really matters? He didn't do anything. If there was anybody who could, if any of the candidates could ever play the rock star card, like, I don't have to be vetted, okay. you know, I don't have uh -huh. to be accountable, it's Newt Gingrich. For goodness sakes, he's Newt freaking Gingrich. But you know <laughs> what? The whole time, he was humble, he was willing to be transparent, he was willing to be held accountable. Now that takes a real humility. So he didn't, try, he didn't try to move it on to another, no, other questions. Never. He sat there and ate, uh, just, uh, just ate humble pie, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example. When I would ask Rick Santorum, and I like Rick Santorum a lot, by the way, okay. uh, especially on a personal level, but I'd ask Rick Santorum, Rick, walk me through the process where you endorse Arlen Specter, who ends up casting the deciding vote for Obamacare in a primary over a conservative like Pat Toomey. What does that look like? Uh -huh. I can't understand that. And he would at times get defensive. He would act like, well, you know, I cut this deal, and it, almost like, hey, I endorsed the rhino for your own good. Well, and to me, uh -huh. that... That, that's different than what I saw with Newt. And, mm -hmm. you know, what I've often seen in my Christian faith, whether it's uh, Jacob, whose name means deceiver, whether it's Moses, who was a murderer, whether it's David, who was an accomplice to murder and a serial adulterer, whether it's Solomon, who was a serial adulterer, whether it's Paul, who held the clothes of those that stoned Stephen in the New Testament and cheered them on. I mean, I can run down the whole list of these people. Uh -huh. What I often flaws. see in my faith is that the most broken people are the ones that God usually does the greatest things through. And I find it amazing that the candidate who has the most personal baggage in this race is the one that has been the boldest, the one that has been the most aggressive in defending our value system in public. And that's evidence that of, you know, that's what I see God do in people's lives. And my own life is an example of that. I mean, I certainly was not a good person by any stretch of the imagination before God saved me. Well, now, you, when you say that about Newt, and, uh, and I'm glad to hear that, but again, he, he's messed up so many times in the past, and then you got everybody from Ann Coulter to these others saying there's no way Newt could be elected. His, uh, you got George Will talking about how 
how high his uh, the dislike ratings are compared to those who like Newt. And so if Newt gets the nomination, are we just asking for four more years of President Obama? Well, those are all good questions. First of all, let me say this. If Newt hasn't earned your trust, don't vote for him. I mean, that's your job as a voter. And you get to do that job. You know, the voters, we are, it's government by the consent of the governed, is what the Declaration of Independence says. And the Constitution begins, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union. Not this the system, or this the party, or these the candidates. It starts with we the people. So I look at candidates like employees, and I look at my role as a voter as the employer. And these are people that are applying for the job opening that I get to vote for. And right now that job opening is nominee for the Republican Party for President of the United States. And if, if those that are doing the reviewing of the applicants, if they come to the conclusion that they have not seen enough uh, life change in Newt Gingrich, then by all means you have the right, don't vote for him. And I would never tell somebody not to, to or I would never tell somebody to violate their moral conscience. And I would also say that to me, endorsements are not unconditional love like I have for my wife and children. Um, endorsement, it means that I'm willing to let you do this job until you show me you can't do it anymore. And when you can't do it anymore, when we have our next employee review, which we call usually an election, then I'm going to get somebody who I think can do the job. So, I mean, this isn't a love affair. Um, I'm, this, is, this is me giving him the ability, as a voter, I'm saying, hey, I'm willing to hire you because for now I see that you've got the skills to do this job. As to some of the other questions you mentioned, I'll just say this about Ann Coulter. And this is in, in, in my book. Ann Coulter's the phoniest shrew in American politics. Ooh, the phoniest shrew. I have not heard it put that I've way. I've interviewed or know in politics who are more phony and less sincere than Ann Coulter. But I will tell you this. If Mitt Romney is the Republican nominee, I will promise you this. And I was on a show in Montana this morning with a Mormon host, and I said the same uh-huh. thing to him on his own program. If Mitt Romney is the nominee, I can promise you the media is going to tell us about every crazy thing Joseph Smith and Brigham Young ever said that they never told us about Jeremiah Wright. They're going to turn this entire election into a referendum on Mormonism and how many homes Mitt Romney owns. And since Mitt Romney is a far less defined figure to the American people, his negatives will be far more damaging, because most people haven't formed an opinion of him yet, which means his negatives help to form that opinion of him. But regardless, whoever the Republicans nominate for president... Barack Obama, like every other incumbent, is running against the economy. If unemployment is at 7% or lower, it will not matter who the Republicans nominate, we will lose. If unemployment is at 9% or higher, it doesn't matter who the Republicans nominate, Obama will lose. And if un- unemployment is somewhere between 8 and 7%, mm. then it probably does matter who the Republicans nominate. But most elections are a referendum, at least presidential elections, are a referendum on the president's current economic uh, the job he's doing with the economy. And as long as the unemployment rate is at 9 to 10% and gas is 3.50 a gallon, Barack Obama is not going to be reelected, even if they nominate you or me, Doc. Not, he's not going to win. That's well, just the way history is. History has indicated the election is almost always a referendum on the incumbent, not the challenger. Well, you, uh, you, you summed it up pretty. I think that's, I agree with you. I, uh, that's correct on as far as. Uh, what we got to do, and it looks like it's the more likely the unemployment figures will be right in between, and and who we nominate could be important. Now, one thing you may not know, I was there in Charleston, South Carolina, for the debate on that uh, big day on January the nineteenth, when mm-hmm. all the news came out. Perry dropped out of the race. Santorum got uh, declared the winner of Iowa, and Newt's ex-wife 
uh, started leaking the excerpts of her interview started leaking and that's when everybody thought Newt would be he could be uh, his political career may be over everybody going to the debate but I did see when he when he uh, answered John King and he fought back and he gave the described it as a despicable uh, question and the Tea Party people in that Coliseum went crazy yelling for Newt and I saw at that moment there was something that galvanized where the Tea Party was always sort of wishy-washy uh, about who to get behind. But they got they galvanized behind Newt to that night. And, and it's something that I can't put my finger on it other than say that uh, I think it's something that sticks to the heart. Yeah, if you go... If you go to the end of our book, we won't get fooled again. Uh-huh. And we give some, and, and even it doesn't matter if there are Tea Party people listening to this, and they don't give a hoot about social issues, and they should, by the way, because I don't see how it's possible to have small government without personal responsibility and strong families, but that's a topic for another show. Right. But the, the, the book talks about the religious right came to a fork in the road and made a decision. And the decision it made was it would rather have a seat at the table than to drive its agenda. And the Tea Party movement is, is closely coming to the same juncture where it's going to pretty soon have to make a decision. Does it want to co- go to the banquets and the cocktail parties in Washington and have the big-name speakers sell out its fundraisers? Or does it want to win the future for its children and grandchildren? And to me, if, it, the latter is what it needs to choose to do. And this book will tell you the mistakes the religious right made because the Tea Party is in the exact same position the religious right is in right now. And one of the biggest mistakes we made is we constantly accepted the premise of everything the liberals believe. And so therefore, we didn't become pro-life, we became anti-abortion. We didn't become pro-marriage, we became anti-same-sex marriage. We were defined by what we were against as opposed to what we were for. And one of the things that you saw in that arena that night in Charleston, and the reason these people, I believe, galvanized behind Newt, is because you saw, and this goes to the debate that he held, that he was held in South Carolina a few days ago, a week ago Monday, too, or two weeks ago Monday now, and that is people saw someone for the first time who is in elected office or running for elected office who was capable within 30 to 90 seconds of taking all the foolish and unconstitutional questions the media asks and pummels conservatives with and turning it around on them boldly, courageously, and doing so in a way that actually inspires other people to agree with us. And that is something we have not had since Reagan left office, and I don't think people can possibly underestimate the importance of that. I'm 38 years old. I can just tell you, people in my age group, this is what their, their life looks like this every 15 minutes. Their cell phone goes off, their phone with a call. Then the home phone goes off. The cell phone tells them they've got a text message. Then uh-huh. the email bell goes off. Then they check their Twitter account. Oh, look, I got a Facebook alert. And hey, there's something on TV I want to watch. And this happens every 15 minutes. And that's not uh-huh. even counting what your kids, your spouse, and your boss wants from you. And that means people are busy. They do not have time to sit back for six to eight minutes and really deeply think about what it is you're offering them. If you cannot sell them in 30 to 60 seconds, you're not going to get to sell them. And that works in the arena of ideas every bit as it, much as it does in consumer economics. And so if we do not have candidates that can make the case for what we're arguing and do it positively and not negatively, if they cannot make that case in 30 to 90 seconds, we are going to lose in the arena of ideas. And we've already seen evidence of that, Doc, for the last 20 years. And that, to me, is the biggest strength of them all, Newt Gingrich has. He can win that war. And the reason we need to win that war is because that's how you get your ideas across to future 
generations. Well, Steve, once again, thank you for being on Doc Holliday's Tea Party. We look forward to watching the primaries unfold, as I know you do. And uh, we'll try to get you back one of these days. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Doc. Take care. All right. And that was Steve Dace from Iowa, and I'm glad he took his time to talk with us on Doc Holliday's Tea Party. A couple important nuggets. Number one, he pointed out that Mitt Romney has some negatives that the media, he believes, will bring out about his faith and, and about all his houses that the media will exploit once he gets the nomination, which we know the uh, far-left media, just like they did with John McCain, once they got him the nomination, what did they do? They, they slapped him with some accusation of uh, that they tried to tear down his uh, candidacy as soon as he got the nomination. So watch out the left-wing media. We know what they're capable of. And the other thing that he pointed out was not since Ronald Reagan have the Republicans have a spokesman that could put together in quick, succinct sound bites uh, our uh, principles. And that's what he said Newt can do, and we've seen him do it, and he thinks that's a strength that will be great for the conservative movement. Two great nuggets, great interview Steve Dace. And that's it for this week's Doc Holliday's Tea Party. We have rock-splitting politics right here every week. Tell your friends about it. Link us. Let's get the word out that this is the year that the conservatives consolidate power. The 70-year itch in American politics is coming to fruition because of you, and it's time to move. See you next week. Many things to talk about in Florida and others and where the race is going. See you next week. Thanks for joining us today, and remember to listen again next week for another edition of Doc Holliday's Tea Party. You can order Ed's book, Walk With Me, A Patriot's Guide, from the Boston Tea Party to today's Tea Party Revolution by clicking on the book cover right in front of you on the screen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.